It's a seemingly random Tuesday night in January, which means it's time for one of Hollywood's biggest nights. Nope, not the Oscars, or the Emmys, or the Grammys, or the SAG Awards, or the Directors Guild Awards, or the PGA Award. You know, let's just cut down to it. It's the Golden Globes, and let's talk about it. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle here with my recap of the 80th annual Golden Globe Awards, which aired last night on NBC and Peacock and other streaming services after not being on the air last year amid a complete retooling of the organization as a result of several scandals that all seemed to break at the same time from a lack of diversity in the membership of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which puts on the Golden Globe Awards, to accusations of bribery and taking gifts from different studios and lavish trips to Paris to not your Netflix show. It was a big old mess, so they took the year off from TV. Well, actually, TV took the year off from the Golden Globes, but they were back last night, and it was, uh, well kind of the same? Let's be honest, the Golden Globes weren't the most prestigious awards to begin with. They were pretty much known as a night where you could get to see your favorite stars go and get drunk and have some free dinner, and if you went and schmoozed enough people, then you would probably win a gold statuette at the ceremony. But what luster the Golden Globes had left was largely gone last night, as were some high-profile winners. Kate Blanchett wasn't there, Amanda Seyfried wasn't there, Zendaya wasn't there, and the stars that were there saw a show that really seemed more like a almost like a funeral dirge. It felt like a neutered version of the show that we'd seen over these very many years. Basically a show that was begging to be let back at the big boys table to allow themselves to be part of legitimate Hollywood again. And I guess part of this whole process was having Gerard Carmichael the host of the Golden Globes this year devote his entire opening monologue to just how terrible the organization had been in the past. I won't say they were a race this organization, but they didn't have a single black member until George Floyd died. The Globes and the Hollywood Foreign Press Association have been fodder for jokes for years. People have been talking about them, but this really seemed like a masochistic exercise on the part of the organization, as if they wanted everyone to see just how much they were punishing themselves. Regardless of whatever the Hollywood Foreign Press Association's past may be, I think this industry deserves evening like these. But after a rough start, I think that the show really got into what makes these shows appealing, at least as far as I'm concerned, and that's the winners and their speeches. And we had a pretty good crop of winners this year. The first award went to Kei Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's really kind of unstoppable for him for Best Supporting Actor at this point. And he gave the first speech of the night and what may actually have been the best speech of the night because it actually came from the heart. It wasn't just a recitation of agents and managers, etc. They remember that kid. And they gave me an opportunity to try again. At this point, it would be the ultimate Grinch move not to give him the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Luckily, it wouldn't just be a story award or a legacy or a sympathy award. He actually does deserve, I think, the acting recognition for his role in the movie because there are a lot of great supporting turns in movies. His, to me, is still one of the best of the year, if not the best. Angela Bassett also won an award for Best Supporting Actress for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is interesting because this was the first time that an MCU performance was recognized outside of the Saturn Awards. So for a Marvel performance to not only be nominated for, but to also win a Golden Globe was a new landmark for the MCU. 
you, and we'll talk about Angela Bassett's win and its impact potentially on the Oscar race in just a few minutes. We show the world what black unity, leadership, and love looks like beyond behind and in front of the camera. The Golden Globes was always known for being unpredictable and sort of unlike your average awards show, but it does seem like they pulled out a lot of those elements and that basically turned the show into a very predictable, typical award show. But there was one question that was kind of running through my mind the entire night. I love Jennifer Coolidge. She's incredibly charming. She's hilarious. She's funny, all that stuff. But who did she bribe at the Golden Globes to basically get unlimited speaking time throughout the entire evening. First she came out to present an award and she had like a literally three to four minute lead up the introduction to her giving out the award and then she won an award for the White Lotus and seemingly had an unlimited amount of time to give her speech three to four minutes which I think is fine as long as everybody else gets that privilege. But they played off people like Michelle Yeoh and Quinta Brunson and the poor producers behind Argentina 1985 who won the award for film not in the English language. I mean come on I know that these these guys aren't RRR who you probably wanted to win, but give them just a couple of minutes to talk. For my people, para toda la gente de Argentina, and the show is obviously short on time. It still ran, I think, about half an hour over or a little bit less. And it's astonishing to me that these award shows have been going on for so long and they still don't seem to grasp exactly what the people at home want to see, which is not these overlong tributes and pre-planned speeches and montages of movie clips that we see over and over again. We want to see the winners speak. We want to see the genuine moments. And yet this golden Globe ceremony was packed with tributes. We had two of them. We had one for Ryan Murphy, which was an introduction to Ryan Murphy from Billy Porter, and then a montage of clips of Ryan Murphy's work, and then a long speech from Ryan Murphy where he was also recognizing other people. Those are all good things, but it took, what, five, ten minutes of the ceremony? Then there was a separate tribute to Eddie Murphy, and we had an introduction from Tracy Morgan, which was funny, and then a montage of clips from Eddie Murphy's career, and then they brought out Jamie Lee Curtis to give a second introduction to Eddie Murphy, and then Eddie Murphy gave a speech, although I do have to say, number one, Eddie Murphy's speech was very short, and number two, he proved why he is a comedy genius, because he sort of lulled all of us into a, a bit of a slumber by giving a very reserved speech, etc., and, and ending it with some parting words of advice. It's a blueprint, and I followed it my whole career. It's very simple. There's three things you just do these three things. And then he delivered a knockout blow, the best and only funny Will Smith joke of the night. Pay your taxes, <laughs> mind your business, and keep Will Smith's wife's name that's Eddie Murphy for you, and that's why you do these pre-planned tributes so that you can have those moments in the show, but the problem is it comes at the expense of letting the actual winners speak, the people that they're awarding for their work this year. There was a wonderfully talented piano player, even though it was an odd choice of accompaniment for most of the night, that was sitting in the room with everybody, and her job over the evening, because people kept getting cut short, was getting yelled at by various celebrities when apparently she wasn't even the one playing the music to get them to go off the stage. Harry, to finally see the world after 20 years of acting, you can forget that piano. To finally see the world. All at once, shut up, please. <laughs> I, I can beat you up, okay? And that's serious.
And listen, if I'm going to be honest, if Michelle Yeoh threatened to beat me up, not only would you not find me in the same building, you would not find me in the same state. So once again, we have another award show that doesn't seem to understand what makes compelling television. And they've done 80 of these damn things. The Academy Awards are getting close to 100. Let the winners speak. Cut down on the pre-planned speeches. Cut down on the comedy bits. We don't tune in for that. We want to see the people who won, who are having one of the biggest, most important moments of their lives, actually get to talk before they have to start talking real fast. Oh, and I want to thank so much. Rest of the cast and crew, obviously. Sorry, the music is now confusing me completely. <laughs> yes, there are people that just list agents and stuff, but you're also cutting short people who have genuinely good things to say. For God's sake, let these people talk talk you could at least play suspicious minds or something rrr didn't win the award for best film not in the english language but it did pick up a golden globe for best original song for not to not to which to me is 100 deserved because find me a movie where an original song had as big an impact in the actual movie as not to not to did in rrr usually what you get are the songs that play over the end credits from the big pop stars i think three out of the five songs nominated for globes this year would fall under that category. I was so happy that they actually gave the award to a song that had a big impact in the movie itself and wasn't just sort of attached in order to get awards attention. N.T. Ramarao and Ram Charan, who are with us, who dance with full stamina for the song. And before we get to the movie winners and talk about how it may or may not have impacted the Academy Awards race, I, I want to talk about a TV winner very quickly, or, or perhaps a TV non-winner. Because when it came to best TV series drama, the Golden Globe went to House of the Dragon, which just wrapped up its first season. And listen, I love House of the Dragon. I was a big fan of season one. But one of the shows that lost the Golden Globe was Better Call Saul. And that really just adds to a lingering question I've had, which is, what did Better Call Saul do to the awards voters of America and apparently the world now with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that has left them snubbed and overlooked for every major award? This was Better Call Saul's first nomination for Best Drama Series. It lost at the Golden Globes. Bob Odenkirk has been nominated five times at the Golden Globes for Best Actor in a Drama. He has lost all five times. Better Call Saul is O for 46 at the Emmy Awards. It has been nominated for 46 Emmys and taken home zero of them. What black voodoo magic did Vince Gilligan do that made it so that Breaking Bad would win all the Emmys, but at the expense of Better Call Saul, not winning one? The Emmys had better get their ducks in a row because they've got one more shot. And if they let Better Call Saul come and go, without giving them any recognition whatsoever. This will be one of the biggest crimes in the history of awards. And of course, awards crimes, one of the least consequential crimes in the world, but still pretty egregious. We didn't think we were gonna win, so I didn't get ready. But let's turn to the movies and performances that won in the film category, because that's where the Golden Globes are often looked to for any kind of tea leaves or indication about what the voters might be thinking or where we might be headed in the Academy Awards race. And the Golden Globes is unique in that it splits a lot of their categories between musical and comedy and drama, although most of the movies are just kind of randomly placed in one or the other. But we do see some winners sometimes that would be up against each other for the Academy Award that are competing in separate categories at the Golden Globes. And one of those is Best Actor, where the two frontrunners, Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser, were in completely different categories. Colin Farrell 
won for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy for the Banshees of Inisherin. No big surprise there. I do like that he used his acceptance speech to publicly shame co-star Barry Keown for eating his cereal while they were shooting the film. A word of advice, Barry. Don't eat his crunchy nut cornflakes and leave him with no breakfast in the morning. Okay, you should never send a man to work on an empty belly. But the surprise, or I don't know, maybe not so much, was in the motion picture drama category. Brendan Fraser has been the frontrunner for the Academy Award for a very long time. He was nominated for Best Actor in a Drama for The Whale, but Austin Butler's performance in Elvis ended up taking the Golden Globe. And I want to say, first of all, that Austin Butler's performance in Elvis, I think, was incredible, and it's absolutely awards-worthy, and I was happy to see that he won the award, but some people may kind of raise their eyebrows at Brendan Fraser not winning. However, he has a very specific and complicated history with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that makes this not such a surprising loss for him in this category. Back in 2018, in the wake of the Me Too movement starting, Brendan Fraser gave an interview to GQ where he alleged that the then president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, Philip Burke, had groped him at a luncheon for the Hollywood Foreign Press back in 2003 and that this had had a substantial effect on his career, on his mental health, etc. Now, Philip Burke denied those allegations. He said that he had touched Fraser, but in a joking way, he was not expelled from the group in 2018 after Fraser made the allegation, and Burke was part of the Hollywood Foreign Press until 2021 after he sent a very let's say, complicated email to members regarding the Black Lives Matter movement. Only then was Burke removed from the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and as Fraser's performance began to pick up awards buzz, people said, well, are you going to go to the Golden Globes if you're nominated? And Fraser said, no, I'm not going to the Golden Globes. I think he said something like, I have more history with the organization than I have respect for the organization. And he also said, quote, my mother didn't raise a hypocrite. So it was known that Fraser was A, not going to be there, and B, that there was no love lost between Fraser and the organization. So perhaps the Golden Globes voters said, well, we don't even want to deal with this issue. We want to have a winner who's present. And thus Austin Butler got the award. It should also be noted that Tom Cruise was not present at the ceremony. And that's because despite Top Gun Maverick having a lot of nominations this year, he returned three Golden Globes back in 2021 when all these controversies were brewing. Seemingly, he also believed it would be a bit hypocritical for him to then show up at the next awards ceremony. But the show didn't really avoid that topic. In fact, Gerard Carmichael made a joke regarding Tom Cruise's return Golden Globes that literally drew gasps from the audience. We take these three things and exchange them for the safe return of Shelly Miskovich. Now, if you don't understand that punchline, it goes into a very complex story involving the Church of Scientology. But the point of the matter is that by making a joke like that, and potentially by overlooking Fraser in the Best Actor category, the Globes as an organization didn't exactly seem to be striking a conciliatory note for the actions that they've done in the past. They basically seem to have punished the two major stars or two of the major stars that openly boycotted the ceremony, which really clashes with the almost self-loathing tone that they set at the opening of the show. And I think that this can contribute going forward to maybe a little skepticism, which by the way, there already was about the organization and about just how committed they are to wanting to make these changes versus having to make these changes. It was a very odd choice to make 
make those jokes and to make these moves. I'm not saying they were obligated to give the award to Brendan Fraser, but that in combination with the Tom Cruise joke really kind of raises some questions in my mind about just how committed they are to this future path. There have always been risque jokes at the Golden Globes. That's what Ricky Gervais was hired for. He said stuff like that all the time, but that was in a different moment in time, and the tone of the show was wildly different at that time. So we'll see just what happens with the Golden Globes going forward. I think there was a lot of thought that, oh, well, they're back on television, so everything's behind them. I'm not so sure about that. But let's get back to the Academy Award race for Best Actor. Because of Fraser's history with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, I don't see this as a threat to his frontrunner status for Best Actor. I still think that he is the frontrunner for the Academy Award. But it does show to me something that I've seen in the other nominations from other guilds, etc., which is that a lot of voters, and I think probably a lot of older voters, are really coalescing around Elvis. And I think that come Oscar morning when the nominations are announced, a lot of people are going to be very surprised at just how many nominations Elvis gets in minor categories and in major categories. This movie looks to be turning into something of an awards juggernaut, maybe not for wins, but definitely for nominations. And there have been reports from various guild screenings, etc., industry screenings in Los Angeles, that Elvis has been playing like gangbusters at all of these screenings. And I really think that Elvis is going to have a surprising lock in some categories, not only Best Picture and Best Actor, but I think perhaps up to Best Director and some other categories where nobody's really expecting it to do well. Just a hunch for me that Elvis may be overperforming with Academy Award nominations. Generally, though, with all of the Brendan Fraser stuff, etc., I don't want Austin Butler to get lost in the mix because I think that Elvis is a good film with a great performance at its center, and it should be recognized. Looking at Best Actress, the Golden Globes doesn't really change anything because I think the two frontrunners for the Oscar right now, Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett, both won because Everything Ever All at Once was nominated in the musical or comedy category, and Tar was nominated in the drama category. Blanchett won, Yeoh won. It's the same race that it was yesterday. It's basically between those two right now, although the Oscar races can always change almost on a dime. The Best Supporting Actor race as well, Kehi Kwan for me is as much of a lock to win the Academy Award right now as I could possibly imagine. I just don't see any arresting this momentum at this point. Again, crazy things can and do happen, but there isn't another performance that I can see right now where I could see Oscar voters saying like, oh, well, uh, you know what? I think we're going to pick that one instead. I really think for so many reasons that this is the moment that people want to see on Oscar night, and I think it is the moment that people are going to see because, again, you can't see things like his emotional speech, the history there, the story there is just too good in conjunction with a great performance. I don't see anything stopping that from happening. When we look at Best Supporting Actress, I think that this race is still wide open. The one thing that's a little bit illuminated for me based off of this result is Angela Bassett. I wasn't quite sure if she would be able to have the support to get that Oscar nomination for Wakanda Forever just because it's very rare to see an Academy Award-nominated performance from a comic book film. We've had several. Heath Ledger, of course, being a huge example, but they're few and far between. 
And so I was wondering if she would have that popular support. Her win last night, I think, says to me that she does have it. So I would favor her to get an Academy Award nomination, but I don't think that there is a favorite in the supporting actress race right now. Dolly De Leon from Triangle of Sadness has really had a strong push in the last few weeks, but these races are often decided in the last two or three weeks when final voting is happening, and this is one of the most open races of all of the ones at the Oscars this year. Looking at Best Animated Film, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio won at the Globes, and I think that that kind of re-solidifies its status as the frontrunner at the Oscars. The response to Puss in Boots' The Last Wish, so many people really, really enjoying that film, kind of had me wavering and saying like, well, maybe that one could be inching up there, but I think Pinocchio winning the Globe here, del Toro's great speech about animation being a medium and not a genre. Animation is cinema. Animation is not a genre for kids, it's a medium. Those may seem like small things, but they go a long way in voters' minds. So I'm going to go ahead and reinstall Pinocchio as the frontrunner right now for Best Animated Film. Best Director's a race that I don't think had a clear frontrunner before tonight. I think now you can maybe put Steven Spielberg in that top position uh, because this again shows that he's got that support from the Hollywood Foreign Press Association that could be indicative of some of the voting block of the Academy Awards. And you could see the Oscars saying like, well, we haven't given Spielberg an Oscar in over 25 years. It's the story of his life. E.T. has a lot to do with the story. The Close Encounters has a lot to do with the story. But I never had the courage to hit the story head on. In a race with no frontrunner, you do go with the more sentimental option, but I really do think it's going to come down to how do voters respond to everything everywhere all at once? How do they respond to the Fablemans? And how do those demographics break out? And then we get to best picture because we have two different categories. Some of the tea leaves are easier to read. Some of the tea leaves are more difficult to read, but there are a few things that I can kind of intuit from what we saw. First of all, when it comes to RRR, the fact that it did not win the competition for best film not in the English language. It's called Best International Film at the Academy Awards. That does give me pause when I think about, well, how much support does it really have amongst a lot of Academy voters, and can it still get that Best Picture nomination? I think that it is still going to get nominated for Best Picture, but I think it's also proof that when you look at a movie like RRR, if it gets nominated for, let's say, Best Picture and Best Director and Best International Film, well, people will say, oh, well, then it's a cinch to win Best International Film. That's not always the case because there are a lot of great international movies this year. Decision to Leave will likely be nominated in that category, as it was at the Globes. All Quiet on the Western Front will likely be nominated in that category, as it was at the Globes, as was RRR. In the end, none of those three movies won the globe. It was Argentina 1985, and it could be because those movies just split the votes and you had an unexpected choice come in and win that award. Pan's Labyrinth was in a very similar position a couple of decades ago where it had transcended the international film category and yet did not win that Academy Award because there were other strong films in the category. So I do still think that RRR is going to get a Best Picture nomination, but I don't know if its support is as strong as I thought it was before tonight. Then when we look at the Banshees of Sharon, it won in the comedy or musical category. I think this could also be a sign that everything everywhere all at once as a whole 
may not be connecting with some voters as strongly as once thought. Of course, they recognize the performances from Michelle Yeoh and Kehi Kwan, but the fact that Everything Everywhere All at Once did not win in this category that was already split between drama and musical and it went to Banshees instead, that again gives me pause to say, well, I think it was already kind of an uphill road for it to win Best Picture. I think that road just got a little bit harder. The thing that may bail it out, again, is the fact that we don't have one frontrunner this year, so it is kind of a free-for-all. And a beneficiary of there not being a frontrunner is The Fablemans. It is quickly, I think, along with Elvis, becoming the choice of what you might consider the Academy establishment or the awards voters establishment, where it overperforms in a lot of categories, even more than you may have seen enthusiasm in the public or even sometimes the critical community. The Fablemans is the sentimental favorite. Again, it is a story about movies. It is the biopic of the most successful movie director of all time. It is a feel-good movie. It is a nostalgic movie, and that might be the difference when people are voting for movies and ranking their choices, as the Academy Awards does, keeping in mind for Best Picture. It is a ranked-choice voting system. And if there are people that think that everything everywhere all at once and the Banshees of Sharon are a little too abstract, for them, they may vote them lower. The Fablemans may be the beneficiary of a lot of people voting it one, two, or three because of the relatability and the family and the movies of it all, etc. That's just how these things are decided right now. I was a little curious when the movie came out because of the low box office and because of a muted public response to the film, whether it was going to be losing momentum as we went into the key part of the award season. I think it's actually gaining momentum, and it's largely because there are really no other movies that are similarly gaining more momentum. So this is going to be one of those Oscar years where I think we're going to get to the end of the show and nobody really knows what is going to win. I think it's going to be a surprising year and that's what I like. The Golden Globes are not predictive. They kind of were for a while, but they're not anymore. I think what it does is give us a little signpost to point the way and it's something that I'll be keeping track of as we go to Academy Awards night. This really does kick off the Oscar coverage in earnest. I'll be tracking the SAG Awards, the Directors Guild, all the Guild awards because I think that there are a lot of great films this year but the product of a year with a lot of great movies means that there's a lot of unpredictability so stay tuned right here on the channel I'll be trying to read the tea leaves and trying to make award season predictions as we get closer to the Academy Awards what did you think of the Golden Globes you probably didn't watch them I bet a lot of people didn't watch them but thanks for watching my coverage of them I'll be back here later this week with more movie news reviews box office and more until next time stay safe and I'll see you then bye